How's everybody doing today? If you want to turn to First Peter, um, this week I was I was recounting the events of uh, uh, ten years ago. So uh, I'm in a Christian education class in the administration building at Hannibal Grange University, and uh, I come out of the class, and uh, there's just mobs of people um, in the student center. And um, they're all staring at, like, in the corner of the student center is like a TV, and so like, see that little speaker right up there? Imagine, like, that's the TV. That's kind of the size of it. Um, HLG folks, is that about right? Um, so you really couldn't see it at all. Um, and so everyone's just staring at this TV, and, and I really had um, no clue what was going on to come out of class, and I started asking people, I was like, what, what's going on? And someone's like, um, planes ran into uh, the Twin Towers. And uh, pretty much, like, could have told me anything, because uh, I didn't even know what that meant. It's like World Trade Center, Twin Towers, like, I, I'll just be frank. No clue. I'd never heard of them. Like, how bad is that? Never, I, I had no clue what it was. Now, I, I did a little research and, and pretty quick got caught up on what that was. Uh, so that, that just tells you a little bit about myself. Um, anyway, um, and so, so we're just watching in disbelief. Um, I go back to my, my dorm and I get on the phone and uh, Danielle and I are talking and we're, we're watching the news and just kind of as it plays out, this event that's, that has forever shaped our world. And I remember sitting there, and I remember seeing when one of the towers fell, when it just collapsed. And like, I just, I just started weeping. Because I, I knew in that moment that like, lives were being taken. There wasn't just some cool movie, but that at the event of an evil act, lives were being taken. And, and it has forever changed our world. Like, I, I don't even remember what flying used to be like. I just know I better have some Ziploc baggies these days. Like, I think we didn't have to have that before. Like, you remember when people used to actually, like, my mom and my dad could walk me to the gate and, like, watch me go on the plane? And now it's like, you know, see a son, call me when you get to the gate in 30 minutes. Okay, like forever changed our world. And, and as, I, as I've thought about that, as we consider that, even in this moment this morning, what I'm struck with is, is the vastness of the brokenness in our world and the evil in our world. And here, here's what's incredible. Here's what's amazing to me, is that you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ carry this heavy weight, this responsibility, this calling by God to live out his name and his peace in the midst of a broken, evil world. And so before we get into our text, um, can, can we pray and can we just ask the Lord to, to deal with us and to, to teach us? Father, we, we come to you this morning. God, I just thank you so much for, God, your mercies, that, that your word says they're new every morning. And God, I don't know what it was, but even coming here this morning, 
like was just hard. But when I got here and I saw my family, God, God is just reminded this morning of your mercy. I'm just reminded this morning of your goodness to us in the midst of life being tough, in the midst of evil. God, as, as people remembering the evil act that happened 10 years ago. So God, we just pray over those families. We just ask that you'd be near to them, that God, those that have, uh, have encountered those immense loss, God, that you would bring about faithful ministers of the gospel to speak the word of truth to them, that they would come to know the hope of the cross. And God, would we see our responsibility this morning to be agents of your gospel. God, we love you. God, would you um, allow your word to read us this morning and teach us. I've got to surrender to you. In Christ's name, amen. Um, go to um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Um, um, let's, let's jump in. I'm um, sorry, verse 4. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Um, so we've been talking a ton about identity in, in these past um, several weeks. And here's what today's going to be about. Today's going to be about um, not only revealing a little bit more of our identity as ministers of the gospel, priests, um, per se, we'll, we'll look at, but also how that identity actually works itself out. And really, the rest, m- most of the rest of the book is going to show us, okay, as our identity as holy ones, as our identity as loved by God and called to love, as our identity as called out to be ministers of the gospel, how do we live in the context of the authority that God set up? Uh, in the context of our, of our families, husbands, wives, chapter 3. In the context of, of suffering, okay? We're going we're gonna to map that out. That's, that's coming up. Um, but, but this morning, um, look, look down at verse 4. Um, it says, as you come to him. Now, I don't, I don't know what you thought about when you came here this morning. Uh, I don't know how excited you were. I don't know if you're like, man, I hope they really switched the chair sideways because I was really, you know, kind of thinking that. And, um, man, they must have read my mind because I think this is beautiful. Um, I don't know what your perception was as you came here this morning, but notice what it says. It says, as you come to him, okay, and here's what it means. It doesn't just mean like, you know, like I come up, you know, to Sue right now, like this one time. But it carries this connotation that I come, and I continue to come, and I continue to come, and I never stop pursuing the Lord. Man, God, make that who we are today, amen? Like, as you come to him, a living stone. Okay, so it's gonna dis- we're going to do a little descriptor here of Jesus. Don't be confused here. I literally realized this late in my study that the next phrases don't describe us, they describe him. But how incredible, we're given his identity, so they really do describe us. As you come to him, okay, who is him? Who is Jesus? What does it say? A living stone 
rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, this idea of a a living stone, that's kind of an odd paradox. Like, have you ever seen a stone alive? You ever had a stone talk to you? Like, no. There's really nothing more dead. I'm not a scientist. Somebody's going to come up to me afterwards and be like, actually, there's something going on inside a stone. There's really nothing more dead than a stone. And it says, Jesus is a living stone. Okay, there's so many names of Jesus that really show us the reality of who he is that creates this paradox in our minds that show us he's so much greater than we could ever even really know or imagine. As you come to him, a living stone, okay, here's, here's what this is doing. Peter, in, these, in the next several verses, is going to unpack for us three different instances where it talks about a stone in prophetic reference to Jesus. Okay, and here's what's happening. It's talking specifically about the temple, Okay, and, and stones that were used in the building of the temple. And so here's, what, here's, the, here's the amazing thing about this. You're like, living stone, like, ah, that's a cool name. I think I could have come up with a better one. Um, wouldn't use it for a band or whatever, but um, I could come up with something greater. But here's, here's what this literally means. This word, this name for the Lord is showing us the calling out of the old covenant, out of the old way of life of what would happen within the temple, of the, the sacrificial system, the, 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 the slaughtering of animals, the shedding of their blood to atone for sin, and here Jesus, the living stone, alive. And his life is given to us. Okay, so we're transferred from this old covenant to this new covenant. We'll get into that in a little bit. But it also says that he's, he's rejected. Okay, rejected by man. Isaiah puts it like this. Um, he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Wow. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Have you ever experienced rejection? He doesn't even compare with the rejection of Christ. It says he was rejected by men. But but here's the crazy thing. In the sight of God, what does it say? Chosen. Precious. So God calls out Jesus. He says, you're my precious son. I'm going to send you to the world. To change the old way into a new way of living. To take what's dead as in a stone and make it alive. Now, verse 5. Here's what verse 5 is going to do. Verse 5 is going to show us that that same identity of Jesus is really given to us when it says this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Okay, you yourselves. So here's Jesus. Now, you yourselves, just like Jesus, okay, like a living stone. The, The idea of Jesus being able to take something that's dead and making life to it, that's given to us, and that's a descriptor of us and of our identity. We're being built up as a spiritual house. Now, think about that. What do you, what do, you do in a house? Anybody? You live in it. 
oh, yeah. Well, some of you, you know, you, you sleep in it. Maybe you don't live in your house because you're like, you know, no, you're never there because there's, there's too much going on or whatever. But you normally, most normal people actually live within their house, okay? And here's what it says. You're being built up as a spiritual house. So what's a spiritual house? Okay, I know it's early. And maybe I'm really intimidating. You can talk. Like, I'm okay with that. That'd be great. Well, what's a spiritual house? A place, what? Where you spiritually live. A place where the spirit dwells. Okay? You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Ephesians, Paul writes to the, to the church in Ephesus, and he says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So where God once dwelt in stone structures and, and you went to meet with him there, now his dwelling place is with us that we're being built up as a spiritual house, that more and more and more, God's dwelling place in us is, is deeper and more intimate and more intimate, where we're knowing him more fully every single day. That's our identity. Okay, now, um, in order to get this concept of being a holy priesthood, we have to grasp something. So I need you to turn to the left a little bit um, in your Bible to Hebrews 9. I want to portray to you to, um, the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant by showing you the role of a priest because God calls us priests. Hebrews 9. Starting at verse 1, it says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared the first section in which the lampstands and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Okay, so it's just laying out the structures of the temple. Verse 5, above it were cherubim, of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail these preparations having thus been made the priest now here's what here's what a priest would do the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties but into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this, arrangements, gifts, and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. 
but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Okay, so here's what's happening. The priest would go in, and the high priest was, would, could only go in once a year and make sacrifice and, and atone for sin. Okay, Jesus comes along in verse 11, and it says this, but Christ, when Christ appeared as a high priest, so our high priest who's giving us access to God, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of the goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Okay, so Christ becomes our high priest. He becomes the one who, who atones for sin through his blood, not the blood of another. It's easy to shed the blood of another. He shed his own blood for us so that we could be his own, that we could have access to the holiness of God. Okay, and so out of this, the Bible says that we're priests, that we really are, are minister. A priest is a minister. We're ministers of the gospel because that's the identity that Jesus has given us through the transfer of a new covenant. Now, are you familiar with the cornerstone? There's a lot of cool like, businesses that use that, that name, cornerstone something. Okay. Um, a cornerstone is, I mean, they, they throw celebrations. They throw, you know, parties to, to lay a cornerstone. Okay, because here's, here's the important thing about a cornerstone is how it's set dictates everything else. Okay, um, probably a year ago, I uh, was helping my dad rehab his rental house. And we were putting down um, new flooring, tile, ceramic tile. That's the word I was looking for. We're putting down ceramic tile. And my buddy, um, my buddy is a, is, a, is a contractor, a carpenter. And here's what he did. Um, he's, he's laying this stone. And I'm not sure why he did this. Um, but he decided that it would be best to lay this stone and start in the middle. And he had mapped this out, and he'd like lasered it off and measured. And instead of starting like in the corner, or instead of starting like on a wall, like this floor was literally going this direction, this direction, this direction, this direction. And he started right in the middle, and here's what happened. He ended up laying about 15 tile, and then he realized, by the time you get down to that corner there, we're going to be off by about three inches. So what did he do? He tore it all up. He spent like two hours measuring, preparing, and, and he, he tore it all up. Like that, that cornerstone, the foundation affected everything. Okay, this is the description that's used of Jesus back in 1 Peter, where it says, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. This foundational piece that sets the course for everything. Now, let's get, um, let's get practical here for a second. Uh, so what does this mean for us? Uh, here's, here's what this means. When, when we seek to live out our identity, here's, here's what I think we need to be reminded of, because I think we forget this often. We're going to be rejected by man, just like Jesus was rejected by man. 
Like, do you get surprised when people, like, mistreat you? Do you get surprised when people reject you? Do you get, like, does that, like, what's going on here? You know, as the scripture says, as though something strange were happening to us. Like, that's what happened to Jesus. I think it's really interesting um, because when you surrender to the gospel, it's going to set a trajectory in your life that's going to mean some things. And what we want to do is we want to change the trajectory so that, so that things turn out the way we want rather than letting the cornerstone set the trajectory for our lives. And what that's going to bring about is people that don't like us. You're like, what do you mean? Okay, well, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Okay, um, so what I don't want you to do here is be like, well, okay, Jesus was rejected. I don't really have a bunch of people that dislike me. Because I think there is something to be said about, okay, yes, as Christians, we live to bring unity, to love people. But also, there's a way with which we live that's going to set us apart. We'll dive into this here in a second. It's going to set us apart in such a way that people don't like it. And people don't like, not just us, but people don't like who we are, who, what we stand for. So if everyone in our life just thinks you're wonderful, well, I don't know that that's such a good thing. Okay, now let's, let's unpack this a little bit because I see a little um, scrunched noses. Oh, wait, that's always there. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.14. This will be on the screen. Uh, here's, here's why, okay? 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as women of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Okay. Let me, let me explain because it might not be tracking with me. Okay. When you live your life in obedience to Jesus, when you live your life seeking to be sincere to the Lord, sincere to the gospel message, and not peddling, tampering with God's word, as, as it says there, people aren't going to like it. Why? Well, have you, have you ever smelled something dead? You're like, yeah, I got in my refrigerator this morning. And, uh... Have you ever been driving down the road and it was clear, like Earth City? There's just some dead stuff in Earth City, like... Can we be honest? Like, there's just something going on in our city that just, come on, okay, something's done. Okay, we get that. Okay, but here's, here's what the, this passage in 2 Corinthians says. It says, as a Christian, like, I'm the stench of death to the unbelieving world. I'm, I'm the aroma of Christ to, to one, the fragrance from death to death. So what is that saying? It's saying that there's going to be a way in which I live my life that's going to bring condemnation on others. Not because I willfully condemn them, but because the, the stance I make for Christ and for the gospel that makes me distinct from the world, and we'll get more into that in a second, is going to reveal to others, okay, something's different here. Okay, I, I taught for five years in, in, in high school, and I had 
numerous students that were like, I love your class. You bring the Bible to life in ways I've never known before. Students that came out of Catholic school, and they're like, Bible class is just boring. And, and, and then I had students that were like, like, they hated it. And it wasn't just because, like, they just hated it, but, but it, was, it was because, like, there was a stench of death. Because they knew the life they were living, the sin they were living in, was going to be exposed when they came to my class. Like, they knew, they knew what I stood for. Okay, now, um, author and pastor Vody Bauckham says this, if people don't hate you because of your walk with God, then you're not walking with God. Like, I'll let you chew on that. I'm not going to describe that or unpack that anymore. But if people don't hate you because of your walk with God, then are you really walking with God? Are you really modeling a life that Jesus modeled where he was rejected by man? Okay, so when you, when you live the way Jesus calls you, Okay, here's what's going to happen. You reveal, for some examples, okay, an, an unhealthy view of women, okay? When, when your coworkers, guys, want to view women as sex objects, and you refuse to do so. Okay, or you reveal an, an unhealthy view of alcohol in others when, when you, after maybe a few drinks of taking something that God created to enjoy for him, you can say, okay, that's it. Like, I have control. And, and they're just off the hook. Like, you show an unhealthiness there. Okay, when, when there's dishonesty, when people lie and they want you to lie and, and you won't stand for that, you're going to stand in integrity. You reveal to them an unhealthiness about them. Like, something's... Not right. Okay, or how about deficiencies in their family and marriage? I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Friday was Danielle's birthday. So the night before, um, Mikhail and I went to Michael's, and she picked out some great glitter glue, and we found some white shirts, and we got hats, and um, we just decorated up um, all the shirts and Danielle's new kitchen table. And, um, and so um, we decorated up, and we woke her up, dressed in our glitter glue hats and shirts that said happy birthday mom and mama and and all that we woke her up to that then we went out to breakfast dressed in those same things okay now we get to ihop and like you would expect everyone was looking at us everyone wanted to know what was going on and what was really funny was everyone thought it was mikhail's birthday Right? I mean, why else would you do it? Whose birthday is it? Is it your birthday? No, it's mommy's birthday. And she has a big shirt on that says, it's my birthday, and a, hat, a pink cowboy hat that says, birthday girl. And literally, there were probably eight waiters and waitresses that came around the table and were like, like what's going on here? And you could, <laughs> and they even, without me even asking, Somehow figured out Danielle's name, and then we were done eating, like got the whole restaurant's attention and sang and brought her ice cream, and like it was, it was awesome. But we walked out of that place, and Danielle had had some conversations while I was paying with some of the, some of the workers, some of the ladies, and, and they were like, like, I'm so jealous. Like, that's awesome that your family did this for you. And I'm not giving myself props because, like, that's what you do. Like, if you're a good husband, 
If you're a godly father, like that's just what you do, right? Like not glitter glue. Like I'm just saying, like you, like you make much of your wife. You make much of your kids. Like so, we demonstrated a healthiness to our to what family should look like, to what marriage should look like, to what celebration should look like, to an unbelieving world that we're scratching their head as to like, wow, I've never seen anything like this. I'm going to guarantee you some of them are still thinking about it. Okay, that, that's, that's what's going on here. Okay, now, go to 9. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want to stop there. And we're going to go through this fairly quickly because um, I've spent some time over the past several weeks actually going to this, this passage. But, but what does it say we are? It says we're, we're chosen by God. I love how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 43 verse 1. He says, but now thus saith the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Like how incredible is that, that the God of heaven would look down upon earth and say, you're mine. Like it just blows me away that I can even think thoughts towards the Lord. That he wouldn't just slap them down and say, be away from me you evildoer. No, he says, he says, you're mine. Like, you're my possession. So what does that mean? It means that we live out our identity in such a way that we belong to the Lord and not the world. Like, let me tell you, that's really hard. Because we live in a world that's very good at marketing itself. We live in a world that's very good at showing how attractive running to the world is but we know from experience that you run and you run and you dive deeper and you dive deeper and it's just not doing it for you. And so you dive deeper and then you try this and then you try this and then you try this and it's just not doing it for you. But we don't get the clue that like God's like, yeah, that's a reminder that there's something greater for you. That you're mine. Exodus puts it this way. Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all earth is mine, and you shall speak to me a kingdom of priests. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. But what's amazing is where this verse goes on and it says, okay, God's called us out of darkness. He's called us into his light. He's called us to live as people of light. But then in verse 10 when he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. So there was a time in our life when apart from God, there was nothing but wrath available to us. There was no prized possession. There was no sense of you have value or worth whatsoever. There was a time when you had not received mercy. Hosea says it this way. I will sow for her myself in the land, and I will have mercy on 
no mercy. And I will say to not my people, like that's a name. Like your name is no mercy. Oh, that's a good name. Like don't name your kid that. Like if you're thinking about having like another kid, like don't name your kid no mercy. Like I will say to not my people, like another like, wow, interesting name. You are my people. You've received mercy. You are my people. You, I am God's. That's, that's, what it's, that's what it's saying. Now, jump to 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you remember in 117, if, you look, if you're looking at your Bible and you look back at 117, what did, what did Peter say? He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each, one de- each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited you, to you. Okay, well, what is that? To conduct yourselves with fear. Why? Because you're in exile. Like, it, it's not your home. Okay, so li- here's, here's what this means. You live distinct yet engaged. Okay, I, I think this, this text is so important. Like, how do we live as Christians in the world? Like, that's, if, if you're asking that question... And you should be, right? Like every one of us, if we desire to live a godly life, if we desire to walk with the Lord, you should be asking this question. I don't care if you feel like you figured it out because you haven't. Or if you have slip up your hand and you come up here and I'll come sit down. Because I haven't and I'm teaching on it right now. Okay? We live distinct yet engaged. How do, how do we live in the world? Okay, let's see what it says. You live distinct, yet engaged. So here's, here's the point, okay? I'm a, I'm a visitor. I'm, a, I'm on a short-term trip to earth, and I know this is so hard for us to resonate. I think it's because we don't really understand what's to come, okay? That, that, that I'm an alien. Like, I think that word really, well, it really portrays it. Like, have you seen Men in Black? Like, the pretty clear who the oddballs are like there's no question about you know you know who, who who's not supposed to be here what well, those weird looking dudes okay like i'm not saying like look weird as a christian like act like i think there's some weird christian but anyway um so what is it saying it's saying that this place isn't my home so what do i do i live distinct from the world so there i should look different like, if someone spends enough time with you, they should at some point come to the realization you're not like the rest of us. And if they don't, then you're not living out the identity that God has for you. Okay, yet, I've been sent into the world as a minister and a messenger of the king to push back what is dark in the world and to live out my identity as light. So what does that mean? I'm distinct, but I'm also in, I'm engaged. Okay, let me give you um, some help on this, because there's a tension here. There's a tension we have to live in. Okay, three S words. 
sectarianism, syncretism, saturation. Here's the first one. And it really takes verse 11 and pulls it out and takes it by itself because they both go together. Sectarianism. Verse 11. Here's what sectarianism is. You're a fundamentalist. You're a legalist. You're an exclusivist. It's it's this us versus them mentality of how we view the world. Like, I separate myself. Like, I'm of the Lord. They're not. And I'm in opposition to them. Okay, don't get near me, or you might get your sin on me. Okay, that's the view. Okay, now, the, the New Testament example is who? The Pharisees, right? The holy rollers that made rules to follow rules to follow rules. Like they were so good that they, that they made up these rules to keep them to, in order to help them follow the rules that God actually set out. And they were very judgmental and prideful. Because that's one, that's one way to view the world. It's, it's basically taking verse 11 as a sojourner and an exile and taking it to an extreme where it's like, I'm, I'm not of this world and so I'm just going to live in my Christian bubble. The second one, syncretism. This is basically taking verse 12 where you're engaged and it's, it's liberalism, it's conformity, it's we are them. You, you become the world. You sync up with them. Now, now the, the New Testament example is, is who? Sadducees. Sadducees, they didn't see God as the moral code. They saw themselves as the moral code. They believed in the first five books of the Bible. That's it. They didn't believe in an, in an eternal judgment. They didn't believe in, in hell, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. Syncretism. One missiologist put it this way. Syncretism is an odorless, tasteless gas, like into carbon monoxide, seeping into the Christian atmosphere. Like in the midst of this missional movement to take the gospel to the culture which I think is biblical, what we've done is we've become the culture. And that's what Peter's saying. Don't do that. Don't become the culture. Darren Patrick has much incredible things to say in, on this in his book called For the City. But he, here's how he defines the two. He says, both syncretists and, and sectarians fall into the trap of defining themselves by what they don't want to be instead of what they are in the gospel. Syncretists don't want to be offend, offensive. Sectarians don't want to be a sellout. The error of both is that they leave out the gospel, which says we are offensive to God because of sin, but that Christ has come to redeem those who are sinful. So what's the third one? Gospel saturation. Gospel saturation is the tension of verse 11 and verse 12 where we live as Christian missionaries. Where we say, I belong to Christ alone, yet I live in the context of the place where he's put me for the mission that he's given me. Look back at verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. I urge you, as aliens, 
exiles. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So you know the battle you're in. You're aware of the evil schemes of the enemy. Okay, that show us this idea that we're in a war. And that keep us from losing sight of our holy identity. That keep us from losing sight of our alien identity. When we understand the battle, it elevates our need for distinctiveness. Because in the midst of a battle, what do you want to do? You want to give in. You just want to become like the rest. But God says, don't. Don't do that. But it's also living with, what does it say towards the end of the verse? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when you speak against you, when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will speak against you as evildoers, and if they don't speak against you as evildoers, then are we living like Jesus? When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So there is a day of visitation. There is a day coming when we will stand before the Lord, when all men will stand before the Lord. So for the past several months, um, there was a guy who would come into Subway every, every morning. He was a Walmart employee. And his nickname was Big Red, big guy, real big guy. Red hair, big red beard, nicest guy you'd ever met. Every morning, he ordered footlong, uh, forgot, he, <laughs> he ordered a, a breakfast sandwich, I can't remember. He, he ordered food every morning, and I knew what it was then, <laughs> I haven't made it in a while. Um, yeah, I'm really mad that I can't remember it. Sunrise Subway melt, there it is. Every morning, turkey, ham, bacon, tomatoes toasted on it, recommended by Subway, okay, on wheat bread. So I go into work, that's about a month ago, and uh, co-workers are like, did you hear what happened to Big Red? No, what happened? Uh, he died in his sleep last night. What? 24-year-old kid. No signs, brain aneurysm in his sleep. Done. Dead. My, my coworker, her name is Spring, her brother, same type of situation, 29 year old guy, went to bed after hanging out with his buddies, never woke up. Maybe you heard the news. Not too long ago. Wednesday. Hear, hear about the guy who jumped off, jumped off the bridge? 370 bridge? 50-year-old man. Was a teacher. My sister-in-law's brother worked under him. He called Chris, the guy who jumped off the bridge, called Chris and said, hey, will you cover my classes this morning? Yeah, sure, I'll cover them. The next day he found out the guy had him cover his classes so that he could jump off a bridge. And here's what Chris said. He said, I worked alongside that guy for a year, and we never talked about Jesus. i got to get more bold, because there's not a chance anymore. Like, that's the weight of, of what Peter is saying here, that we have a mission from God to engage people that might not wake up tomorrow, or that might end their own life tomorrow. 
or might live the rest of their life pursuing the pleasures of the world and in the end live separated from the Lord and never come to know the beauties of the Lord. So what do you do? In those conversations where you see distinction, where it's clear, okay, I'm, I'm not like them. They see here. Okay, I had another time at Subway where I was talking with this guy and he, he's, he, it's just odd when all these guys at, at Subway want to point out hot chicks that walk by. And it, it's just by like eye contact, like you see her. And I just kind of like look down. They think I'm really weird, which is fine. I go like this. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and, and I had one guy, I was like, I was like don't, don't you have a girlfriend? He's like, yeah, but you look as long as you don't touch. I'm like, no, you really can't. Because you know, you know like, I mean, let me just tell you, like, God's design. <laughs> like, I really like, unpacked this with him. I was like, God's design is that you look in touch. And, and if you don't, like, you eventually will. Like, that's, his design is that in the context of, like, I'm unpacking, like, my hope in the, in the, the gospel in the midst of this, like, well, every other guy looks at hot chicks. Like, why don't you, like, and let me tell you about my amazing family. Let me tell you about my, my amazing wife, who's pretty hot, I think. Um, so how do you live distinct? Let me, let me end with this illustration. For so much of my life, like, I've realized how dangerous this talk is, how dangerous it is to engage, like, to be distinct, yet engage the world, Okay? And let me just tell you, it is so much easier to disengage. It's safer. And here's the deal. It's easier to teach. Well, just don't have anything to do with them. We can't do that. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, that's a clear line. And that's the clear line that I was taught growing up. That you just don't have anything to do with them because they're going to they're gonna corrupt you. Because once we start talking about how do you engage them, like, it's, just, it's just not this clear blueprint of like, here's what you do, what you don't. Like, like it's spirit-filled. But, but here's the illustration that the Lord pounded in my head and scared me to death with, with this week. So as a parent, we take all kinds of precautions to protect our kids. We have rules about how you handle the street, how far you can go down the sidewalk what you can do in the house, what you can climb on, what you can't climb on. Danielle goes up to Mikhail's bedroom. The window's open. She is leaning on the screen, bouncing on the screen. Her room is the second story of the house. I have no idea why the screen didn't fall out of the window and my daughter plummet 20 feet to her death. Okay? It's the grace of God. Okay, it's God's protection. Okay, so in the midst of all of our efforts as parents to, to honor the Lord, here's this one instance where, did we drop the ball? Like, should we have checked the window? Should we have, like, flipped those little clips that only lets it open this far? Like, they're, they're flipped now. Like, it only opens this far now. Okay, but, like, I didn't know that. 
And here's the deal. The Lord's like, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm like, I'm watching out for you. Like, I'm protecting you. So he, here's what I want to end with. Actually, why don't we stand together? Here's, here's what I want to end with. If you eagerly have a desire to pursue the Lord and to walk in holiness and obedience to the Lord, He's with you. And He's for you. And He wants with everything that he has to enable you to do that well. But here's the deal. Uh, To the extent that you don't do that, to the extent that you're distant, and you just want to walk in disobedience, he's just not as much for you. And he still pursues you. I don't hear that wrong. Don't hear like God's checking out. You pursue God, then he'll pursue. Like, don't hear that, but, but what I'm saying is that, that the Bible says God looks to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So can we just respond in that way today? Can we just say, God, look, I want to do this thing of walking out my identity. And it's kind of messy. And sometimes I run to syncretism, sometimes I run to sectarianism, but I want to live gospel-saturated. And I need your help. And so we're going we're gonna to sing, and we're going to respond, and um, be people uh, on the side to pray. Mike and Rachel will be over there. If, if, man, if you just want to pray, if you want to come talk to me, if you want to grab somebody else and pray. But we want to respond to the Lord. We want to celebrate the cross and our hope and the mission that that we're sent out because of the hope that we have in the cross. But God's ways and God's word are bigger than us. And his mission is bigger than us. And he includes us in it. So we just want to say, yes, Lord. We want to obey. Father, we come to you. living stones rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Like, that's our identity. God, we want to live in that. We want to be priests and aliens in this world. We want to be authentic lovers of yourself. God, we need your help. So God, would you show us your grace? Would you pursue us with your love? Would you show us that you are for us? To strengthen those who in their weakness beg and beg for the ability and the strength to walk in obedience. God, because that's us. And we need your help. God, would you meet with us as we respond to you in Christ's name, amen.